Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. This is a recording of Rabbi Avi Havivi's weekly Sidur class. I, I just want to acknowledge it um, can be hard to study Torah under these conditions, uh, especially we're in a theology class. You know, my morning davening, I don't know about you guys, y'all, but I always wrestle with it. Like, oh, is anyone out there? Are you there, God? It's me, Margaret. Or is the universe, uh, or is the universe insensate and uh, impassive and doesn't hear and doesn't care? These are challenging theological questions that we all wrestle with. Um, but we're going to push on. So what we've been talking about, uh, what we started talking about last week is God is a personality, particularly in the, we're going to look at prophets and Psalms. God is a personality with, I hesitate to use this word, uh, sorry, God is a personality in relationship to humans with, I hesitate to use this word, feelings. Uh, we're going to read uh, today from a theologian, Rabbi Abraham Joshua Heschel. We'll see how he tries to avoid using the word feelings because feeling feelings sound so a lot of people say anthropomorphic the technical term is anthropo anthropopathic right anthropomorphic means when you impute a physical shape or human shape to god anthropopathic I, it's even hard for me to pronounce it mm-hmm. uh, means when you impute human feelings to god so we're talking about god as a personality in relationship last week we talked about god as having love for human beings. And this week we're going to talk about God as having anger, God's anger. That is our topic today. It's an especially hard topic uh, for me during these difficult times as I finished making up my source sheet, source sheet last night, which we'll see if we can make it all the way through it. I was just thinking like, wow, either this is so relevant or so irrelevant. I couldn't decide which. It's either 100% relevant or zero percent relevant one or the other terry i i i vote for a hundred percent relevant right now okay i got it okay so um and uh we're gonna do something a little different today than what we've usually done usually i bring lots of sources in the bible uh today perhaps because i did not have enough time to prepare or because i thought it wasn't crucial i haven't brought a lot of sources because I feel like, oh, intuitively, you know that God's angry. God's always getting angry. They make the Keldon calf. God gets angry. Uh, Valle, uh, this week's part, right. Vayera is coming up. The people of Sodom are bad. God gets angry, decides to punish them. Israelites make the golden calf. God gets angry. They send out the spies who bring a bad report and the people don't want to go into the land. God gets angry. Um, the prophets, except for the second part of Isaiah, which is the uplifting part, the seven hafta road of consolation between Tisha B'Av and Rosh Hashanah, except for that, the prophets are always saying that God is angry, right? That's kind of the whole thrust of prophecy. You are sinning, whether that's ethical sins, oppressing the poor, or ritual sins, idol worship. Therefore, God is angry. God is saying you'd better do tshuva. But God thinks you're probably not going to do tshuva, and so you're going to get punished. So I think we're all pretty familiar with um, the idea of God as being angry. This sometimes gets 
Heschel would say, stereotyped or caricatured or misunderstood as the angry God of the Old Testament. I'll say that in air quotes. Jews don't say Old Testament, but it's the angry Old Testament God um, of Deuteronomy, certainly, right? He's always angry and he's always punishing, okay? And the prophets are full of this. Um, So we're not going to read too many selections from the prophets. We're actually going to read from Heschel, who wrote a book called The Prophets. My, I used to have a copy that was in two volumes, soft cover, but then it disappeared, as so many of my books do, not necessarily because it's gone, but because I can't find it. So then I rebought it a couple of years ago. It's now in one volume. It's a reprint. And this is really a classic Heschel work. Like all books by Heschel, it's slow reading because his his articulation of ideas is so thoughtful and therefore dense, carefully chosen words, and you got to read each sentence and slow down and think about it. So I don't know, maybe we'll make it through this today. Maybe we're going to, maybe it's going to carry over to next week. Um, um, so uh, in Heschel's two volumes, The Prophets, the first volume is about individual prophets. So there's a chapter on Amos and a chapter on Hosea and a chapter on Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, et cetera, et cetera, where he talks about the thoughts of each individual prophet. Volume two is his general ideas, God's anger, God's love. How is this different than other conceptions of God, either in Judaism or outside of Judaism? So a lot of the selections I'm taking are from the uh, two particular chapters, one on God as God's God's feeling, the word he uses is pathos. I believe we pronounce it in English, P-A-T-H-O-S, the Greek word pathos, pathos, however you pronounce it. Um, So one chapter on God's pathos, God's feelings in general, which really also um, applies to stuff that we read last week about God as God's love, looks at the question of how is it that we can talk about God as having feelings? What does that mean? And then couple of chapters on anger and that's what we're going to look at okay so that's what we're going to look at once i'm able to screen share and again this will be posted uh at the with the um with the audio later today i really encourage people to actually look at and download or read um this source sheet because again it's just so dense because heschel's um words are so thoughtful and packed okay can you post a link now oh i'm sorry i don't know how to do that i haven't learned learned how to do that yet i apologize i know i should no worries all right okay i know that makes extra work for everyone okay you can see that right okay Everyone sees that to say yes. Someone say thumbs up. Yes. Okay. All right. So first of all, before we get to anger, we're going to talk about God in relationship, having feelings, because of course this is so, and, and, and Heschel acknowledges this. This is so, um, I will just say anti-Maimonidean, you know, Rambam's idea that God is absolute. God is outside of the universe. Nothing we do affects God. Okay. Um, uh, the idea of Adon Olam, and um, and and this is such the antithesis of that. And I'm I'm not reading this to try to persuade everyone. 
because we may read Heschel and you may think, I just don't buy it, okay? Or it may speak to you. Starting out, God is in relate. Oh, sorry. I, I tried to put these into sections. Section one, God is in relationship with humanity, right? So the basis of the feelings is God is in relationship and therefore human actions evoke pathos in God in response to humanity. So because God is in a relationship with us, God has pathos in response to what we do. Heschel says, to the prophet, God does not reveal himself, should be a capital H, sorry, in an absolute absoluteness, that means, but in a personal and intimate relationship to the world. He does not simply command and expect obedience. He is also, and this is the part, this is where it gets shocking, he is also moved and affected by what happens in the world. Sorry for the typos. God is moved and affected by what happens in the world and reacts accordingly. Events and human actions arouse in him joy or sorrow, pleasure or wrath. He is not conceived as judging the world in detachment. He reacts in an intimate and subjective manner. So for Heschel, God has pathos and pathos is in response to what humans do. And this can be joy or sorrow in God, pleasure or anger. It's really chutzpah what he says. Okay, I think. Very bold. And he, this is his understanding of how the prophets talk about God. The divine pathos is not an absolute force which exists regardless of man, something ultimate or eternal. It is rather a reaction to human history, an attitude called forth by man's conduct, a response, not a cause. Man is, in a sense, an agent, not only the recipient. It is within his power, meaning human power, to evoke either the pathos of love or the pathos of anger. The language is, of course, somewhat dated, published in 1962. We wouldn't say man, we would say humanity. That's what Heschel means. And we might not say he, 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 he all the time in referring to God. We might use the word God or God's self or something like that, but I haven't rewritten it. Okay, so God is not totally, this is totally not the theology of Adon Olam, that God is outside everything, or of Maimonides, right? God reacts to human history, all right? And therefore, by the way, we have, I don't want to say, it doesn't use the word power. It sort of means we have agency. How we conduct ourselves, we humans, is going to impact on God's feeling state, uh, Michael, I think I just want to finish this section. All right. One more paragraph. The predicament of man, I'm just going to change it and say humanity. The predicament of humanity is a predicament of God who has a stake in the human situation. Sin, guilt, suffering cannot be separated from the divine situation. In other words, this idea that what we do down here is just what we do down here has nothing to do with what happens quote unquote, up there, out there. Totally wrong, says Heschel. The life of sin is more than a failure of humanity. It is a frustration 
to God. Never in history has man been taken as serious as seriously as in prophetic thinking. Humanity is not only an image of God, he is a perpetual concern of God. The idea of God's pathos adds a new dimension to human existence. Whatever man does affects not only humanity's life, but also the life of God insofar as it is directed to man. Notice that insofar it is directed to man. Heschel is leaving out that there may be aspects to God. He's implying there may be aspects of God that are absolute and have nothing to do with us. It's not that God is only in relationship with us, nothing else, right? It affects the life of God insofar as it is directed to man. So some aspect of God's life is directed towards us, and we affect that. The import of humanity raises us beyond the level of mere creature. He, humanity, is a consort, a partner, a factor in the life of God. The word consort, by the way, really evokes everything we read last week, right, uh, from Hosea about us as God's wife, as God's partner, and God getting angry in response to the partner failing in the way that spouses sometimes fail. Okay, this is, before we get to anger, this is basically Heschel's theology. Um, who's sitting in the front behind um, Alan and um Michael, but in front of, sorry, in front of Alan and Michael, who is that? Next to us, Bob, Bob. Bob, okay, Bob. I, I saw Bob shaking his head there. That was his response um, to something. So I, I know a lot of people are going to react that way. So Heschel is saying, God has, obviously, he, he talks about how it's, God's feelings are different than human feelings. We'll get to that in a moment. But in some sense, God has, I will call it, an inner emotional life of feeling, which is evoked by us because God cares about us and is in relationship to us. If God were, he says this later on, I think we won't get to it today. I guess we're going to go till next week about this. He says later on that if God didn't have this reaction, that would really mean God does not actually care about what happens with humanity, right? This is inextricably linked to the fact that God cares. God didn't, if God remained impassive, if it was Maimonides' God, nothing we do affects God, that would mean that God does not care. But God does care, and so it is a necessary theological correlate that God has, I'm not going to say feelings, I'll say pathos, which is a fancy word to avoid saying feelings, Okay, and those feelings are evoked by what we do, which means what we do is somehow central, not necessarily to the life of God in a totality, but is central to God's relationship with us, as it would be in any relationship, right? If if I said, my feelings for you are exactly the same, no matter what you do, that would somehow imply I'm not really connected to you as a partner in relationship. If I'm connected to you as a partner in relationship, my feelings will be affected by what you do. 
Okay, we're this is the basis for Heschel talking about God's feelings in general. And then he goes on to talk about love and anger and et cetera, et cetera. Michael, I've held you off. First of all, I find this so far out uh, for several reasons. One is because it, it seems to me to be a corollary of the notion of free will, which I think most of us uh, believe exists in, in, in our system of, of, of interaction with God, that we have free will. If we didn't have free will, I mean, if we have free will, then, then, then what we do would have to have some effect on God. Secondly, it's also. Can I, inter- can I interrupt for a second? And Heschel, Heschel goes on to say, and God has free will and God's joy or anger is not a reflex. It is freely chosen by God. We freely choose what to do. And God freely chooses how to respond. A little bit later, we may get to it. He he talks about the difference between human anger, which he sees as a reflex and a loss of control, and God's anger, which is a choice on the part of God. Okay, go on, Michael. The secondly, as I recall from some study that, that I did years ago with uh, Rabbi Rembaum about Kabbalah, the notion of Kabbalah, which is, you know, not not recent, uh, is that what we do on earth affects God and what and what happens in in God's realm affects us. So, yes, so correct. In, and just to respond briefly in Kabbalah, I'm summarizing my I'm going to say in a limited way, my limited understanding of Kabbalah. OK, so my my maybe 10 percent responding of Kabbalah, understanding of Kabbalah, I will, I will now shrink down to 10% of that, which means 1%, okay, is that uh, the way we affect God in Kabbalah is generally by doing mitzvot, which either strengthens the divine force or weakens the divine force by how we act. So it's more about action, and Heschel is talking more about feeling. I'm not saying they're in 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 uh, God... Uh, God's feeling as opposed to God's actual power. I'm not saying those two things are in conflict. I'm just saying I think it's a different nuance. By the way, um, just to cut to, you know, I don't know, modernity or Maimonides and critique of Maimonides, which I don't know, maybe we're going to get to in who knows, three months, four months. I, I, I have no idea. The curriculum is not mapped out yet. But, you know, this idea that many of us are heirs to of God is absolute and is outside the universe and is not affected by anything we do. The universe is impassive. God is impassive. How could we dare have the say to, the, the chutzpah to say that anything that humans do affects God? Um, let's just call that Rambam's conception of God, shorthand. Um, the critiques of Rambam say, I, I am indirectly responding to Michael, critiques of Rambam say this is fundamentally a non- Jewish conception of God, Maimonides' idea. Maimonides' idea of God is the Greek philosopher's idea of God, that God is absolute and impassive and untouched. This is fundamentally not Jewish. It's adopted from Greek thought. The Jewish God, and again, we'll see this in in the, we're seeing it now in the Bible. We'll see it in rabbinics. We'll see it in Kabbalah, right? Uh, we'll see it in modern process theology. We'll read some of Rabbi Brad Artson, right? The Jewish God is affected by what humans do. 
They all talk about it differently, right? But it's not unaffected and impassive. This idea that God is unaffected and impassive and God is uninterested in what goes on on earth. God does not reward or punish or act or care. Um, um, the critique of Rambam is that is the God of Greek philosophy. That is not native to Jewish, to anything in Jewish thought. Jewish thought meaning um, um, the Bible or or uh, rabbinic thought or Kabbalah. Of course, it becomes part of Jewish thought once it becomes Rambam's, right? He he <laughs> he he adopts it and incorporates it, and then of course it because it, it becomes a strain of Jewish thought. But but the critique of that is that Rambam is basically adopting Greek thought, and this is not native Hebrew or Jewish thinking. Okay, I want to pause because this is so dense and thoughtful. Other thoughts or reactions. This is where I, I'm frustrated because there's like you know. 40 people who download the, the podcast and listen to it. And I wish there were 40 people in the room. And well, I don't wish there were 40 people in the room. I wish there were like, I don't know, 10 to 15 people in the room. Um, although the, I, sorry, the best people are in the room. I just want to be clear about that. <laughs> okay. So, um, Offense other, other thoughts or comments. I'm open to thoughts or comments. Well, I had yet another reason. Go. And that is that if we did not believe that, that what we did affected God, we, there would be no there would be no point in in the high holiday liturgy. I believe a more general phrasing of that, Michael, in old fashioned English, is we would just be whistling in the dark. <laughs> All that liturgy is just whistling in the dark. By the way, I I do want to say personally, you know, remember in the Amida. Is, you, know, thir- you have 13 blessings in the middle um, where you add your things. I just want to, I'm speaking very personally now, right? So, you know, in, in the Cholim, I pray for healing of uh, um, the sick, uh, those who were wounded, both Israelis and Gazans. Uh, in Mikabesi Nachim gathering us from the four corners of the earth. I add a line asking for captives and hostages to be returned. And I say this just as a as a person of faith. By the way, lots of theologians talk about you can have faith, but you can also have doubt. So as a person of faith, I think I am praying for these things. And am I just whistling in the dark? I don't know. So um and you know, Heschel didn't personally experience like living through the show off physically. He came to the U S in the thirties, I believe. Uh, but he writes this, you know, he's a show post show theologian. Okay. And whereas some people ended up saying, well, we're all just whistling in the dark. There's nothing out there that cares. Um, he says, no, God is intimately involved and reacts to us. It's very, I don't know. I just find it striking. Okay, we're going to do one more thing today, and then we're going to continue next week because, not surprisingly, I didn't get to everything I thought we might do. Okay, so the one thing I want to get to today is the difference between God's anger and human's anger, which I said shorthand, but let's just read Heschel. God's anger is, is on top of page two. God's anger is different than human anger. Human anger is uncontrolled and impulsive. 
while God's anger is a choice that God makes in reaction to humanity. In other words, what Heschel wants to set up here, those are my words, right? It's not in quotes. What Heschel wants to set up is don't think that God's feelings, when when we say feeling, pathos, that's why he avoids saying feeling, says pathos, but don't think that God's feeling is like human feeling. It's different. As psychological terms, the words for anger that we use in English suggest the emotional excitement induced by intense displeasure, implying the loss of self-control. Anger is therefore, which we rightly are, uh, I might have missed a word, I'm going to go over that, which we rightly are urged to curb and to suppress when it is human anger. But as long as the anger of God is viewed in the light of the psychology of passions, which means human feelings, he uses passions as opposed to pathos. Passions is what humans have. Pathos is what God has. But if we understand anger of God like passions, rather than in the light of the theology of pathos, no adequate understanding will be possible. The prophets never thought that God's anger is something that cannot be accounted for, unpredictable, irrational. It is never a spontaneous outburst, but a reaction occasioned by the conduct of man. The prophet's task is to insist that the anger of God is not a blind, explosive force, but rather voluntary and purposeful, motivated by concern for right and wrong. So when someone cuts me off in traffic and I Mm -hmm. shout at them, that kind of anger, says Heschel, is a loss of control. That's what human anger is. It's not that I chose to do that. And that's not what God's anger is. God's anger is not a loss of control. So he says, in the, he, I, I, I skipped it, but he says there are lots of texts in Judaism that say that anger is bad, right? Like in Proverbs, okay? Or uh, near the end of uh, Genesis, Breshit, um in Vayichi, when, when, um, when, Jacob is giving the sayings about his 12 sons, right? He says, uh, Shimon and Levi, who are the ones who perpetuated the massacre at um, Shechem, um, cursed be their anger, okay? So he says, yeah, when human anger is criticizable, right? And to be condemned because human anger is loss of control, God's anger is not the same thing. God doesn't get angry because God loses God's cool. We get angry because we lose our cool. God gets angry in an intentional, chosen, I'm going to say instrumental kind of way. Okay, I'm going to pause. Michael? Yes, well, I guess that's illustrated by the fact that that God allows himself to be argued with. with Right, yes, and and. Heschel cites some passages where, uh, particularly in the Torah, particularly when God is getting angry with Israel and expressing it to Moses, leave me alone and I will destroy them all, where uh, Heschel says, um, by the way, and this is based on rabbinic midrash, Heschel didn't make it up, that God in saying that is inviting Moses to defend Israel. Um, later on, Heschel's going to talk about the analogy with what human relationship do you think? Marriage. Wrong. Wrong. <laughs> parent-child. Right. Parent-child. Right. It's very paternalistic. And if there are two parents, sometimes one parent says, 
I'm going to kill that kid. And the other parent says, whoa, 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 let's think this through. So Heschel says, when God gets angry, um, you know, this is sort of the classic view of the prophet. The prophet's job is to articulate God's point of view, bring God's message to the people and to defend the people before God, right? So God sometimes articulating so much anger, I'm going to, I'm going to destroy them evokes in the prophet the argument of no, no, no. And, and Heschel says this is intentional, right? God is expressing God's self in a way such that the prophet will argue back and defend Israel. And then God says, okay, you're right. I'm going to limit my wrath. Pause. Terry. It, I, I think it's very, it's very interesting. It's very comfortable in a way because it's something that I, I, I don't know. I, I can't speak for this, this class, but yeah. some of us have grown up with. It's also, it strikes me very idealistically paternalistic kind of the, the hope for what you'd want your parent to emulate. Your parent, I put that in air quotes, of course. Yeah. yeah. Right. So, um, and again, just to sort of short term, you know, the critique and the counter critique, you know, Rambam would say, this is an infantile belief. Freud would say, oh, of course, it's an infantile belief because we project onto this imagined illusion of God, which doesn't exist, um, our human wishes and fantasies that I would have a uh, benevolent papa who sometimes gets angry, but still fundamentally loves me, which is why the punishment will end. We'll get to Heschel next week, talks about the love is, is eternal and the anger is brief. They are not of equal duration. God's anger is for a moment um, and then passes. Um, and uh, and Heschel's counter critique would be to, to, to Rambam and to Freud, you don't really understand Judaism. This is the Jewish view of God as articulated by the prophets. Again, I want to point out where we are talking about in the big context of our class of Jewish theology, we're talking about one strand of thinking. This is the prophetic strand as in the Bible, as interpreted by Rabbi Abraham Joshua Heschel. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to work on my typos. I am going to, um, I will post the whole thing today. So if people feel like it's very dense and you want to pre-read up for next week, uh, you can do that and we'll continue with this next week. And I'm going to say, thanks for joining us today. And uh, be Torah and uh, pray for peace in the Holy Land. You have been listening to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. If you enjoy these podcasts, we invite you to write a review on the Apple Podcast site or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about Temple Beth Am, Los Angeles, go to TBA. LA.org.